Today I will talk with you about money. There are many popular sayings that we know relative to money. For example, money burns a hole in his pocket. Or money can't buy happiness. But people still try, don't they? Money doesn't grow on trees. Money is power. Money talks. Money isn't everything to which some say, but I would sure like to try. There are also some well-known sayings from the Bible relative to money. For example, in Proverbs 21, we read, A fool and his money soon parts. This particular truth is emphasized many times in the scriptures, over a hundred different references, variation in saying, but essentially the same truth, a fool and his money soon parts. Or here's another one from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The love of money is the root of all evil. Most commonly people misquote this verse. Instead, they say money is the root of all evil. That is not true. It's certainly the root of a lot of evil, but it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Jesus spoke many times about money. All four Gospels include sayings from Jesus in a variety of ways. At least 25 different times Jesus spoke about money. One such parable we read in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. Jesus gave this parable to his disciples as they left Jerusalem on their way to Bethany. It was during the Holy Week, prior to the Last Supper, and Christ's arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. The greater context for this parable stretches back from Matthew 25 to Matthew 21. At the beginning of Matthew 21, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple and he gives many discourses during his time of this section of scripture from Matthew 21. Many teachings, many parables. He answered a lot of questions from the scribes and Pharisees. He even answered some questions posed to him by the, his disciples. In the immediate context, we see this parable sets beginning in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, and stretching through the end of Matthew 25, verse 46. There's a shift in Christ's teachings that occurs during this section. He gave four parables, all of them relating to his kingdom. This was the favorite question of the disciples. When is the kingdom coming? When are you going to set yourself up as the king? What about the kingdom? And they asked it in a variety of ways. In these four parables, Jesus gave some very significant truths about his kingdom in answer to his disciples' questions. The four parables are one is the householder, a second one is about the ten virgins, the third one is the parable of the talents, which we will examine in a few moments, and the last parable in this section is the parable of the sheep and the goats. Let's take a look at this parable on the parable of the talents. Starting in verse number 14 of chapter 25, we read this. For the kingdom of heaven 
is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. These two verses start off scene number one in this parable. We see immediately the characters involved in the, in the parable. There's the master who has the rule over his servants and his ownership of all of the goods and even the servants. And then we see three servants are mentioned. Various abilities. We don't know what those abilities were. But he makes the point that three servants had different abilities. Each of the servants got something delivered to them of the master's goods. Those who had greater talents got more goods to manage. But everybody got something. And the status of them did not change. They were all servants. They all had the same responsibilities. There was an equality there, but there is also a difference in their abilities. They were all three servants. And it says he delivered unto them some talents, his goods. If we take a look at one talent, we can get a picture of the, the kind of goods that the master delivered to his servants. One talent in that day was the equivalent of 6,000 days wages, or approximately 20 years of wages. If we examine that value in the United States money system, we find that if someone was earning $15 an hour, which is admittedly a, a low wage, but if they earned $15 an hour and worked 40 hours a day, that was the equivalent of $120 a day. Over 6,000 days, that would equal $720,000 of value. One talent, then, has a value in American monetary system of $720,000. So the servant with five talents received a value equal to $3,600. The man, the servant with two talents, received $1,440,000 delivered to him by the master from his goods for the servant to manage. Notice in the delivery of these talents to the servants, it was not based on favoritism, was not based on need. They were not equally distributed among every servant. It varied from servant to servant. There was not expected the equality of outcomes. It was not based on wants and desires. It was based on ability. Therefore, different talents to each servant based on their abilities. And then it says he delivered. This is an important word to understand the parable. These talents were not given to the servants for their possession. It was instead talents delivered to them to manage on behalf of the master and for his benefit. The expectation of the master was 
that the servants would be faithful to their responsibility to manage his goods for his benefit, not for the benefit of the servant. The same expectation for each servant. Manage the, the talents delivered to him for the benefit of the master. These were not gifts to the servants. They all had the same responsibility. Use the talents distributed to each servant for use of the master and for his benefit, not for the benefit of the servant. And then we see it says that the master departed. He went traveling, which kind of hints to us, if he's just traveling, then at some point in the future, the master will return. Scene number two begins in verse number 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made five more talents. And likewise, he that had received two talents gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. So we see here the immediate response of the servants to the delivery of talents to them by the master. They all did something. The servant who received five talents immediately exchanged and traded and invested those talents to gain five more talents, having then a total of ten talents. The servant with two talents did the same thing, and he earned four talents. The servant with one talent buried his talent, dug in the earth and buried it. Their activity give a hint to us as the character of these servants. The, the, the servants who received a five talent and two talents immediately assumed their responsibility to manage those talents on behalf and for the benefit of their master. They were diligent. They were faithful. They promptly followed the direction of their master and they saw an increase in the value of the talents given to them by the master to, to manage for his benefit. It also points out to us the character of the servant who received one talent. He failed to obey his master. He indicated laziness, fear, and unfaithfulness to his responsibility to manage that one talent on behalf of the master. His failure to manage those goods meant no return on behalf of the master. He lost any potential gain that he could have, that the master, that the servant could have achieved on behalf of the master. Therefore, it was worse than nothing because there was a loss of opportunity of the benefit on behalf of the master. Scene number three begins in verse number 19. It tells us that the master, after a long time, returned and he reckoned with his servants. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, here's the talents that you delivered to me. Behold, I have gained five more. The Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The same with the servant who had two talents and earned two more. The Lord said to him the same thing, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strewed. And I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast what is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I did not sow, and I gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that has ten talents. We see that the two talents, who the two servants who increased the talents given and delivered to them by the master, they gave the report to the master. He was pleased with what they had done. They had obeyed his demands and commands of them to manage his goods. They increased the value of the talents delivered to them by the master. And they received a reward for their obedience, for their faithfulness, and they elevated, the master elevated them to new responsibilities. Their good stewardship yielded expanded opportunities and responsibilities. Not so for the servant with one talent. His description that he gave of the master was a bitter condemnation. He described the hardness, he described his master as being a hard master. In essence, he called him a thief because he said, you reap where you do not sow, in other words, taking somebody else's harvest, and you gather where you do not harvest and winnow. In those days, they did not have the spectacular machines that we have in our day. They would harvest the grain, they would take it to a, a winnowing floor, and they would shake the grain out of the stalks, and they would put it into a pile, and they would gather it together. And the servant described the master as someone who would come to another person's winnowing place and steal their grain away from them. That's his description of the master. He displayed fear and failure to produce anything of benefit for the master. And then he blamed the master for his unfaithfulness. When I described that there was an actual loss because of no opportunity with the one talent delivered to the servant, Jesus points it out here. And he says the very least that you could have done is put it in the bank and got interest so that when I came I would not only have my talent but also some interest gained while in the bank. Also notice at no point does the servant ever repent of his failure. He does not admit his failure, nor does he repent of his failure to produce anything of value 
for the master. Jesus rebuked him with very strong condemnation. He called him a wicked, slothful, unfaithful servant, disobedient to the charge that the master gave him. It resulted in a loss of opportunity. He didn't even get interest from the bank. And he judged the unworthy servant based on his own description. He took the one talent that the master had delivered to him at the beginning of the parable, and he gave it to the servant who had gained ten talents. And worst of all, he cast him out. He cast him away from his presence into a place of great sorrow. Then we come to scene number four, verses 29 and 30, kind of the summary of the parable. Jesus says to every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And he casts the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Faithfulness receives a reward and expanded opportunities from the master. Unfaithfulness yielded judgment and rejection. Jesus described that servant as unprofitable, without any utility or profit or benefit to him. And he described it this way, but he that hath not, he did not have anything at the end. The other two servants had something when the master returned. They returned to the master not only the original talents delivered to them, but then a benefit. The unprofitable servant only had the talent originally delivered to him by the master. He did not improve the value of the talent given to him. Thus, that servant lost even the talent that he had. Now, why did Jesus give this parable to his disciples at this time? Well, he had many reasons for delivering the, this message. First was to describe certain attributes of Christ. Christ in this, in this parable, Christ is the master, as you perhaps figured out already. It points to the sovereignty of Christ. The master who owned everything, even the servants, describes for us the sovereignty of Christ who is the master of all things, even people. He owns all things, including people. He has dominion over all things. It points to the grace of Christ. The master did not have to deliver those talents to those servants, but he did. And he, in grace, allowed them to manage his goods for the benefit of the master. Some attributes of Christ provide redemption of sinners, grace, sovereignty of God. Displayed here in this parable of the talents, the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, describe for us Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. It also predicts of Christ's judgment upon all mankind, God had a judgment for the two faithful servants and for the one unfaithful servant. Upon his return, Christ will also deliver judgment on all of us, all of mankind. 
And it also prepared the servants, the disciples. They're the picture of the servants here, the disciples. Prepared them for their ministry. They were going to develop the church. It reveals to us the presence of the kingdom of God as shown by the church. Jesus was describing his kingdom in this parable as depicted by the church of Jesus Christ on earth today. It begins in verse number 14 where it says, For the kingdom of heaven. That describes for us the presentness of the kingdom. The disciples had great concern for the kingdom. They wanted to know where it was and when he was going to establish it. And Jesus used this parable of talents of money with servants to describe his kingdom and some characteristics of his kingdom as being present right at that time and even present in our day. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy regarding the kingdom and the master Jesus, it was present then and now. The servants described disciples of Christ, just like those disciples to whom Christ initially gave the, this parable, describes their abilities, character, and conduct. It was a preparation of the disciples for the conditions in the church that they would face. They would face false prophets. They would face false believers, all of them claiming to be members of the kingdom all of them professing to be servants of Christ, a mixture of true servants and false servants in the church. Everyone considered a servant and responsible to Christ for obedience and faithfulness to him. There are other examples that confirm this interpretation of this parable. For example, the parable of the wheat and the tares, describing the kingdom present on earth in the visible display of the church of Jesus Christ, a mixture of wheat and tares, believers and unbelievers, to be separated at the day of judgment. Jesus also said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom. We also see in the 12 disciples that Jesus selected in his ministry, there was one false disciple. And then in this section of, of parables in chapter 24 and 25, there's the parable of the virgins, some faithful, some unfaithful. There's the parable of the sheep and the goats, some faithful, some unfaithful. This is not the way the disciples imagined the kingdom of Christ. But Jesus gave the parable to help them understand the presentness of his kingdom, already present, but not yet in its fullness. Now and in the future, it is present. The kingdom of Christ and life in the kingdom is not yet. That's how we experience believers in Christ. That's how we experience the kingdom in our day, is the presentness of the kingdom already, not yet. We are to be faithful like the faithful servants in the parable. And it gives to us a few pictures of Christ's view of money. It's all owned by Christ. None of, a, none of those servants owned any of those talents. They were all the, the master's goods. He didn't give those talents to them. He delivered them 
for responsible action on their part for the benefit of the master. He expected responsibility and management and the basis of their abilities he delivered to them talents to manage. In this parable, Jesus used money to reveal to his disciples his nature, the description of his kingdom until he returns, and the responsibilities of his servants in it. Same attributes of Christ that provide redemption of sinners, grace, and his sovereignty, and the same attributes of the servants that require redemption in Christ. Well, what does this parable have to do with you and me? Everything true then is true now. The same purposes for Christ in delivering the, this parable to his disciples correlates to you and me today. It reveals to us the nature of Christ, his sovereignty, his dominion over all things, his ownership of all things, his grace, his return soon to come, and judgment upon all mankind. It describes for us the presentness of the kingdom. It is true for us as it was for those disciples. Already, not yet. Here and now, and then in the future too. The Church of Jesus Christ describes and displays the presence of the kingdom in our time of redemption. The consummation of all things and the day of judgment to reveal the distinctions yet to come will be at his return. The status of all mankind, you and me, we're all servants. All of us. We have different abilities, we have but we have the same responsibilities, the same status. We're all servants. And it points out to us the attitude that you and I must display towards the goods that we have. It's not ours. We have no reason for pride, no reason for envy or for greed. Everything we have belongs to Christ. We have a responsibility of faithfulness and obedience for God's glory. Now what implications do these truths have upon you and me? What difference should these truths make in your life and my life today? What can the Holy Spirit accomplish in our lives with these truths? First, he can teach us and convince us of the truth. He can point out about Christ and his kingdom, Christ and his nature, Christ and his kingdom. He can point out to us the truth of our status before God and before him as servants. He can point out to us our responsibility to serve him and to manage whatever he has delivered to us for his benefit and for his glory, and to realize the demands of Christ upon us. We must recognize our status before Christ. We are his servants. And our responsibility to Christ is faithfulness and stewardship of those goods he has delivered to us in obedience to Christ. And we must realize our future reckoning before Christ for the management of his goods. Second, the Spirit of God can convict us of our failure to apply the truth in our lives. We can self-evaluate ourselves for obedience. Do we glorify God in what we do? Do we do all for his honor and glory? Do we recognize our, our place before him as his servant 
and that none of the things that we have are ours, that they belong entirely to him? If that describes you, then praise him for his goodness. Praise him for his grace and mercy upon you. Remain faithful to the end. Realize Christ's ownership of all things, even you. And praise God for his work in your life to point these truths to you. What if your self-evaluation points out errors in your life? You have a wrong view of Christ, like the servant of one talent. And you claim ownership over what you manage, what God has delivered to you to manage on his behalf. You take pride in your possessions. You've become selfish and wasteful. You've squandered goods that have God has granted to you to manage. And you've disobeyed your responsibility before him. The Spirit of God can correct us from our sin. Perhaps you make a claim to salvation. But today the Holy Spirit convicts you of your disobedience and unfaithfulness to Christ and points out to you your need of repentance for your sin, to turn to Christ in full submission and obedience and experience a revival in your life by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures tell us to whom much is given, much is required. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. You and I are stewards. We must be found faithful to what God gives for us to manage on his behalf. The Holy Spirit can conform our lives to the truth. For a believer, we can repent of our sin and join in joyful, spontaneous obedience to Christ and his demands. It's possible that you, upon hearing this message, recognize that you are an unbeliever. You make no claim to salvation. You have never trusted Christ. You seek to satisfy your selfish desires. You may even doubt the existence of God. Further, if he exists, you believe that he has no interest in you or your life. The Holy Spirit can also use these examples from Christ's life to unbelievers like you because it proves that the grace and mercy of God in Christ, as revealed in the gospel, extends to the worst of sinners like you and me. Hear God's word to you today. When God created Adam and Eve, he planned for them to honor and glorify him and to fill the earth with their progeny, who would also honor and glorify him. Thus they became the head of all humanity, who would originate from them. But Adam and Eve sinned when they disobeyed God and ate the fruit of the tree in the garden in Eden, that God forbade them to eat. Sin now defiled their natures. They looked at each other differently. Guilt replaced freedom. Fear overcame peace and joy. They knew that they disobeyed God and began to experience the consequences of their sins. Their sins brought the wrath of God upon them, causing the enmity and judgment of God upon them. In addition, their sins produced enmity between Adam and Eve and God. They fled from his presence, which separated them from fellowship with God. 
a chasm came between God and them. The London Baptist Confession of Faith explains it this way. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, by their sin fell from their original righteousness and communion with God and became separated from him. As heads of all humanity, Adam's sin and death came upon all people, including you and me. Thus, sin wholly defiles all the faculties and parts of our souls, minds, and bodies. In other words, from conception we possess sinful natures and become enslaved to our sin, which separates us from God with no desire for him. We have no longing to believe God, let alone worship him. Sin engulfs us into bondage to it and permeates our whole beings. In addition, our sin makes us helpless to remedy our condition. Because of your sinful helplessness and lack of desire for God, you need divine intervention in your life to redeem you from your sin and bondage to evil and to reconcile you to God. Hear God's word to you. The gospel tells us that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth, born of a young virgin girl, to secure redemption for sinners and to reconcile them back to God. During his life on earth, Jesus obeyed every command and demand of God, living a perfect and sinless life. Though sin tempted him in all ways like us, he resisted every time. Because of his sinless life, he could provide the perfect, complete sacrifice to God on behalf of the sins of others as their substitute. Jesus lived a life that neither you nor I could live. He died a death that neither you nor I could die. He died a death that you and I should have died. He paid a debt that you and I owe but cannot pay. He offers a gift that we cannot earn. Major Ian Thomas said it this way, the life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died. When Christ shed his blood on the cross and died there, he offered himself to God as a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of sinners like you and me. He paid the penalty to God in full that people like us deserve to pay because of our sin. He died the death that we should die. Our sin separates us from God and requires a suitable sacrifice to God to atone for our sin and to reconcile us back to himself. The sacrifice of Christ, which God accepted, fulfills that obligation in atonement for the sin of sinners like you and me. Then God can reconcile us back to himself. Jesus commanded all people everywhere to repent of their sin, turn in faith upon Christ, and believe the gospel, which he calls us to believe. Jesus promised to accept everyone who comes to him in faith, turning from their sin, self-reliance, and rebellion against God, to trust his sacrifice to God on their behalf. God promised to pardon and forgive all who come to him by faith in Christ. 
God's appointed substitutionary sacrifice to God for them. Further, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to indwell those who come to him in faith. The indwelling Holy Spirit enables Christ's followers to fulfill his commands. As a young boy, I called upon Christ to be my Savior. I have experienced Christ's transforming power by the Holy Spirit in my life and attest to its reality. I ask the Holy Spirit to come to you today to give you the new birth that will regenerate you, giving you new life from above. I ask him to come to you today to give you the faith to turn from your sin, self-reliance, and rebellion against God, and to give you the faith to trust Christ's provision for you in his life, death, and resurrection as fulfilled for you and that will reconcile you to God. And to come to you today I pray the Spirit will come to you today to indwell you as Christ promised so that he will begin to form Christ's life in you. I urge you today to repent of your sin and to believe and trust Christ to experience God's forgiveness and his presence in your life by the Holy Spirit. I pray that this will come true in your life today. 